It's a dinner party, but for Luke, the atmosphere is tense. Some local religious leaders have already taken up a hostile stance toward Jesus, and they're looking for a chance to trip him up. Picture him with a twinkle in his eye and a trick always up his sleeve when, after observing their jockeying for prime seating, Jesus proceeds to tie his opponents up in rhetorical knots, not so subtly reminding them and us that all our efforts at self-promotion are a sham and a shame. This is the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down by the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, they may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your siblings, your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will then be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the gospel of the Lord. Okay, who remembers middle school? And Johnny, aren't you still, are you in middle school right now? Okay, so you really remember this. You can tell us at the end whether this is accurate or not. You guys, I'm assuming you all remember middle school. Some of us try to forget middle school. It can be like socially quite a traumatic time. But here's what I remember about middle school. Where you sat was very important. Is this still true? Maybe it's changed. When I was in middle school, where you sat was very important. So this was true like in the classroom, true, uh, definitely true in the lunchroom, true on the bus. And I just remember a lot of pressure because when I was in middle school, I really desperately wanted to be popular. And if you wanted to be popular, you had to be constantly vigilant to try and maneuver yourself to get near the popular kids. So it was very important, say you were about to go into the classroom, you had to make sure that you were near the front. Now you couldn't be at the front because if you were the first to pick your seat, then the popular kids might choose to pick somewhere else. So you couldn't be at the front, but you had to be right near the front so that once they did pick your seat, then you could be sure that you shifted and get right close to them really quick. So wherever you're going, you always had to be paying really careful attention. Just, oh, you never could let your guard down because you always had to be trying to get a better, better seat, improve yourself up the social ladder. Thank goodness that's over, right? Well, so this Tuesday, we had a groundbreaking ceremony for the Aspen Center. That's going to be that new recovery house for men and women who are in recovery from drug and alcohol addictions. Lutheran Social Services uh, is the program that'll be running it, and we are honored to get to partner with them to try and make it a reality. So they had this big groundbreaking ceremony to kick off the construction. They invited the media, they invited all of these political dignitaries, all these important people. 
And so, um, like, the lieutenant governor was there, and the county executive for Waukesha was there, the mayor of Waukesha was there, all kinds of important people. And they got to do, like, a ceremonial shoveling, turning over dirt for the new building. And they had sh shovels that were spray-painted gold, and they got to wear hard hats. Guess who got to be up there with them with her very own gold spray-painted shovel and construction hat? Me! Did you guys know you were in the presence of a celebrity? I will be signing autographs in the narthex on the way out. So all of these guests of honor, I have no idea how I ended up on that list. Maybe because someone noticed that of the 11 invited dignitaries, all of them were men. Anyways, I don't know how I got on that list, but every one of us who had you know, one of the official shovels, we had a seat reserved for us in the front row. Here's how the seats go. Okay, lieutenant governor, county executive, mayor, and then guess who's on the very, very far ex extreme edge of that very front row? Yes, that was my seat. And it was just, I mean, it was an awesome event. It was a really exciting project, but it was really funny to watch all of the politicians doing their politician-y thing after the ceremony was over. And they're all trying to like shake the right hands and make the right introductions and all this stuff. And I even had one guy who I was talking with, and mid-sentence, he turned away from me because a more important person became available right behind me. Oh my goodness, say la vie. But anyways, not everybody is like that, right? I mean, not even, not even all politicians are like that. Uh, but Jesus definitely calls us to something better than that. And he does it right here in Luke 14, in this story. And this story is, according to Luke, this is the third dinner party that Jesus has been invited to by those religious leaders. So that means, uh, first of all, it's a sign of his notoriety, but also that, they are, um, that he's worrying them, right? So they're, they're becoming pretty suspicious, and they want to keep, it, as the scripture says, a really close eye on him. So, and seating is very important, not just in middle school and at groundbreaking ceremonies, but also in Bible times. At dinner parties like this, there was a very elaborate protocol for who should sit where. Um, so the host sits at the head of the table. And then the most important, the guest of honor, always sits at the right hand of the host. That's why in the Apostles' Creed we talk about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father as the seat of honor. Then the second most important person sits to the host's left, and then it goes on from there, alternating right to left, close to far, in order of diminishing social importance of your guests. So this dinner is no exception, and um, after observing their jockeying for the best seats, Jesus hilariously goes on this uh, totally unrequested advice uh, little spree. And I think a lot of times when we think about Jesus, don't we think of him as someone kind of serious, like, like a kind of moral teacher or philosopher? But in this reading and in most of the Bible stories about him, Jesus is less like moral exemplar and more trickster, more uh, jokester, more like... Uh, street performer or court jester in the halls of power. And, and this story is definitely a case in point in that. So he watches all the very important people trying to get the good seats. And then he just launches in. What he does is he's paraphrasing Proverbs 25. Uh, so this is a text everyone there would have been familiar with. And he essentially says, hey, 
when you come to a party like this, don't go and try and take the best seat because if someone more important than you comes, they're gonna ask you to move and that's gonna be very embarrassing for you. So instead, go take the worst seat and then maybe your host will come and make a big show of inviting you to move up to a better seat and everybody will see this honor bestowed on you and then you're gonna be sitting pretty. It's like, great advice, Jesus, right? Like, where was that when I was in middle school? Thank you. And then he ends with that big theological statement, right? All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So it seems like a, like a pretty straightforward teaching about humility, but there's a little bit more going on. Because first of all, by even saying this at all, what is Jesus doing? He's calling them out on the fact that they were doing all these shenanigans in the first place. He's calling them out on that. And then the other thing is, well, think about the advice a little bit more. If, in your attempt to get a seat of honor, you instead take the worst seat to begin with, what is still your end goal? To be exalted, right? Whichever seat you go with first, you're still trying to exalt yourself. And so, according to Jesus, you are still going to be humbled in the eyes of God. So essentially, Jesus is saying, whatever strategy you use, any attempt at self-promotion is a waste of your time and it's a waste of God's time. And true humility comes in stepping out of the power jockeying game all together, right? And then Jesus immediately goes on to kind of a new topic and he goes to the host of the meal and he says, hey, when you throw a party like this, don't invite your friends and neighbors and popular people and rich people because they can pay you back. Invite instead the very people who won't ever be able to repay you, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. Those are the ones who you should invite to your party, not because it's going to like boost you or promote you in any way, but just because that's what love does. It looks first to the people who are most likely to be left out and left behind. That's what love does, and that's what God does. Now, luckily, not all young people are as shallow as I was in middle school. Uh, we have a lot of young people, even right here at Unity, who are not afraid to be themselves, not afraid to stand up for the values that they believe in. Uh, and I like to think... I, I like to think we play a little tiny role in making that happen and urging kids that way at Unity just by being a place right where they can just be themselves and there's no judgment and they know that they matter to us and their voices matter. We remind them often of that and we challenge them often to live lives of purpose right in the service of God and others. Um, so we do our best and, and we appreciate each one of you uh, is part of making that kind of ministry possible for our kids. But as always, any of you who are teachers know, we think that we're teaching them, and then usually they end up teaching us, right? That's true for our youth, for sure. It's true for youth from our partners. Um, on this last trip to El Salvador, I think most of you know that um, with a percentage of everything in the offering plate, along with sponsorships from members here, we do scholarships for like almost 70 kids in El Salvador. Did you guys know that? How cool is that? That happens because of this church. And so when we were in El Salvador this last month, we got to meet a bunch of the kids who are in this scholarship program and sit down and talk with them about their lives and their dreams for the future and everything. 
And like, we were throwing out different questions to them, and a lot of things they were just like, not really that interested in answering. Maybe would say a few things. Until we asked one question that every single one of them wanted to answer and felt incredibly passionate about their answer. The question was, what do you want people in the US to know about your country? What do you wish that people in our country knew about your country? And so the youngest one, Lorena, she said, I wish that people in the US knew that my country is going to get better because we are such hard workers here. And any of us who have watched how much they are able to do with how little we're able to send can, they, that is a country of incredibly hardworking people. And then one of the oldest ones, and this is a very charged statement here, so just um, think of it from his perspective. He said, I want people in your country to know that we are all equal. And we are just as smart and capable as you. We just have not received the same opportunities as you. And then he said, so instead of spending money on border security, spend money on our education. And instead of sending soldiers, send teachers. And instead of sending arms, send electricians and electricity to us. And then Cynthia, she is the last one to speak. And she just said, well, you just tell them if they ever show up at our country, we will welcome them with open arms. Now, those are pretty divisive statements here, maybe even more than they know. And our country right now is torn apart by what's happening along our border and so many other things. And if you were to poll people here at Unity, we would probably be totally divided on what's happening on our border and how our government should respond. But you know what I love about this place? What I love about our church is that while the nation takes something like that and lets it tear themselves in half, we don't do that here. We come together, this odd, odd hodgepodge of people from all different political stripes and ages and backgrounds, and we say, hey, we don't agree on what our government should be doing right now, but we all agree that we want to make life better for people who are still in El Salvador so that hopefully some of them will not have to leave. And so we work together and we fund scholarships and we do vocational training and we go and we show up and we visit them and we share what's best of life together and we help them build houses and incredible things happen because of that. And we don't agree about healthcare and what our government should do about that, but we say, you know what? We agree that everybody who's struggling with addiction deserves a chance at recovery. And so we come together and we raise money and we rake weeds and we stuff pamphlets and we open the Aspen Center so that everyone does have a chance at that health and that wholeness that God dreams for them. Our country needs a place like this right now. Our country is desperately looking for what we have here at Unity right now. And I'm pretty convinced that when God draws the seating chart for the banquet of heaven, this is what it's going to look like. Hodgepodge of people totally different from each other, different ages, different politics, different backgrounds, different preferences, different personalities, but all united with a desire to serve the one God who creates us 
loves us, forgives us, redeems us, and loves us all back to life together. Something really special about this place. May God take what we have here, amplify it, and send it out to the world. May we be people who are never jockeying for the best seats, whatever strategy we use. May we love others with a kind of love that has no ulterior motives, no scheming, no trying to score points. A love that is just for its own sake, no strings attached, unconditional and selfless. May we love others with the same kind of love with which God loves us.